What is up, my friends? Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Coworking Weekly Show. As always, I'm your host, Alex Hillman. And if this is your first time joining us, I am so glad you're here because this is a brand new kind of episode. Normally, I'm here answering questions or interviewing guests who have valuable experience related to coworking, but from a wide range of industries, from research and science to the work of collaboration and examples of community leadership all over the world. But if you follow me on Twitter, which if you don't, you can, it's at Alex Hillman, uh, you'll notice that I sometimes try to share links and articles to blog posts that are not my own, uh, especially stuff that I found useful or that brings a particularly critical eye to a topic, one that I haven't read before, uh, maybe sometimes even one that I disagree with. But I put a lot of effort into finding the signal through the noise because it takes that much effort. And I was thinking about how going forward, I could do more to boost that signal for you guys, my listeners, and for the community and the industry at large. And some things are just worth more than a retweet. And there's one example of that in a recent article that I I did retweet. Let's be honest, I shared it. I wanted to uh, thank the author for it. Uh, An article that gave some practical advice on how to build a network in a co-working space. We'll be linking that in the show notes to this episode. So instead of just sharing this article, which I have done before and I will continue to do because it is that good, I wanted to do something a little bit extra and invited Adam to join me in the studio to dissect this piece, almost like a little book club type conversation. Conversation. So in addition to sharing the piece with you, because I encourage you to read it, I'm not going to read it to you in its entirety, but we're going to use it as a framework for a conversation. And more importantly, I want to talk you through how we analyze industry think pieces like this, because there's lots of stuff coming out, lots of content marketing from tools and systems, lots of people sharing what they think. Uh, and it's not always easy to figure out where the experience and the expertise is coming from. So as you're listening and following along this conversation, I'm hoping you also pick up on some fresh ideas for analyzing the things that you read to get more value out of them as well. So before we get into this analysis, this conversation with Adam, a couple of little quick business things. Uh, the first one, as I've mentioned in the last few episodes that coming up, I am planning a live Q&A marathon event, but I'm going to be announcing it here on the show first. So if you are not subscribed, whether it's iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, wherever you subscribe to podcasts, you can go and search out the Coworking Weekly Show and subscribe. If you are subscribed, you will be one of the first people to find out about when and where and how to sign up for this Q&A because it will be free, but there will be limited seating. And the first people who get a crack at signing up will be finding out from this podcast. Um, So make sure you're signed up. And while you are over in iTunes, if that's where you choose to sign up, I really appreciate it if you left a couple of stars and a review about this show and what it's done for you. And if you leave a review before the end of November, and it is still November for at least a couple more weeks here, I'm going to put your name in a hat to win a copy of my audiobook, The First Ten, uh, which is an in-depth conversation and sort of a comprehensive origin story of how I started Indie Hall, lessons and techniques that you can use to build and grow your own community, and how to avoid opening the doors to an empty co-working space or fill the co-working space that you have with amazing people who actually want to work together. The way you got to do that is if you leave the review, also make sure you shoot me an email, let me know that that review came from you so that I can count it towards that drawing and in the coming weeks I'll be reaching out to the people who left reviews to let you know who won the free copy. So that is uh, plenty of introduction for me today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you like this sort of book club format, we would love to hear from you. We'll have some information at the end of the episode about how you can send in links that you have found to have us analyze them as well for future episodes. And I hope you enjoy. Ready? Here we go. There was a time where the Coworking Weekly newsletter was actually 
more like a link list where I would take random articles that came across my Twitter feed or my RSS reader or the people had shared with me and we would sort of summarize the best of that week. And we stopped doing it for a whole variety of reasons, but I never stopped reading what's going on in the world of not just co-working, but community and collaboration and the world of the future of work and workplaces and design and all these things that interest me that I think doing the things that I do with Indie Hall fulfill. But something has happened over the last couple of years in particular, and that is that the quality of a lot of those things that we used to share, um, I don't want to say the quality has gone down, but the it's been very, very hard to find signal amongst the noise. There's a way more stories. There are way more people who are a part of the industry. There are more voices. There's a lot more to sift through. And that's saying something, because I know when we worked on the newsletter, it was a lot to sift through then, and it's far more now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just as one point of reference, I can look at the, the co-working hashtag on Twitter, which is yeah. just one source, and granted, it's a fire hose. And there was a point in time where that hashtag was useful, and it's been a long time since that hashtag has been useful. Uh, I can scroll through it, and I can scroll for literally days of tweets before I find something of substance, uh, and that's, that's frustrating. And I remember this is not the first time I've sort of gone through that. There was a point in time, and this is crazy to even think that it was possible there was a time where i had a google alert set up so that anytime something showed up anywhere on the internet with the word co-working mm -hmm. with or without the hyphen mind you i got an email about it and i read it yeah every single time if i were to try to do that now i wouldn't be able to do anything else and i there's no way i'd be able to read it all and those were the days huh uh, well like i said <laughs> this is this is a this is a blessing and a curse there is there's a lot more information about there a lot more opinions out there but it's tough to find the signal through the noise so one of the things that adam and i've been talking about trying to do more of is when we find that signal to boost it mm -hmm. and an article came across my desk in the last week i tweeted it out uh, it was from a barista who's working in a co-working space in Berlin, sharing five tips about uh, building a network in a co-working space, mm -hmm. which is a, not a new topic. It's not a new topic for co-working. It's not a new topic in general. There's a bajillion articles out there about building your network. And frankly, I, I think that I clicked on this link in one of those like spike clicks where I was like, I was turned <laughs> off by the word network, and I was like, Oh boy, another person talking about how to build your network in a co-working space. Yep. I to be fair, I think the only thing that betrays the quality of this post cuz this post is exceptional uh and and unique in in that there are so many other pieces to read using the same title, I bet you, but the the content here is wonderful. So the only thing that I think betrays this is the the title itself. However, the good news is, is I think that there are lots of people who would type the words into Google, you know, I joined a co-working space. I thought there was going to be, you know, some networking and I, I, have, I haven't really gotten it. Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm interested in a bunch of things about this article. The title of the article is Behind the Bar, How to Build a Network in a Co-working Space uh, by a woman named Alice Dundon. And kudos to Alice for putting this piece together because it defied the, the my initial reaction to the title uh, and provided, again, more than just five superficial tips. And, and I'll go so far as to say uh, this is probably one of the most tactical versions of a post like this that I actually think also balances it with the meaning, like what sets co-working apart from walking into a cafe, mm -hmm. right? And the twist here is that Alice is a barista 
in a cafe. Mm -hmm. So that cafe happens to be attached to a co-working space. And so you've got one of these cool ecosystems uh, that, that I actually have seen less of in the States, more of in Europe, where it's a, a sort of a, a, a almost like a plaza or a piazza of co-working and cafe and meeting space and event space. And some cases they, they run independently of each other and, and sometimes they prop each other up. But Alice started working in this coffee shop as a barista, not as a community manager, not as a tumbler, but coming from the perspective of a barista and some of the things that she learned and was able to implement that I think makes sense, not just for the people that work for co-working spaces, but also the people that work in co-working spaces. This was a rare case of speaking to both of those audiences at the same time in a way that if I was either of them, I think this message would be super resonant. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And I think the fact that she is a barista and this is written from the perspective of things that she's learned as a barista, literally behind the bar, almost has no bearing in the sense that this works for anyone, everyone. I immediately, reading through this, I immediately thought of uh, Carl Rogers, what is most personal is most universal. And these personal experiences in this cafe in I think St. Oberholtz is the name of the spot. Um, this applies to me here in Indy Hall in Philadelphia. Uh, it, these are things that I can take with me absolutely anywhere. So um, kudos again to the fact that this is a blog post that is somehow both instructional and anecdotal and personal. And inspirational. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I think this is a high watermark for, for really good content that is helpful in moving co-working industry, not just forward, um, because forward is relative to the direct, you know, if we're all pointed in a direction and we all step forward, that's one thing, but if we're all pointed in different directions and we all take a step forward, we're not stepping forward together. Yeah. This is, this is a, a great example of something that I think can help a lot of people take a step forward together. I hope people that are listening go out and check out this article. We'll link it in the show notes, but we are going to go through the article. We're not going to read you the article because mm -hmm. that's just damn silly, um, but we're going to take Alice's five points, and we're going to sort of break them down, mm -hmm. and... I want to share a little bit about what was going through my head as I'm reading this article, how it applies to the work that we do, um, and maybe even build on some of the advice and, and help you come up with something more specific to implement. Because I think Alice gave you gave you some great advice. We want to boost that signal and add something more to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, the first thing that I want to start with before we even get into the, the actual instructions, the tactics, is uh, some context that Alice provides, which is she was moving from Australia to Berlin. So she was stranger in a strange land. And I think that's something that immediately resonates for me as something that I want to read because she begins in a place of some vulnerability. Let me be honest with you. I was a person who was not familiar with my environment. It gave me opportunity to learn. And immediately, I, I have to say, from the perspective of a reader reading a blog that is instructional, I didn't feel like anyone was speaking down to me. It felt familiar. Um, and that's something that I don't feel like I see often enough in these pieces. I I've rarely feel like someone on my equal is talking to me in a conversational tone, and this really helps me through the entire piece. You know, it's funny you say that, because I was also thinking about the fact that she, you know, you could be like, why am I taking advice from a person who makes coffee 
Right? Yeah. And and um, I think it's worth pointing out, and Alice does this as well, that she's not someone who makes coffee. She's an Australian yeah. that makes coffee. It is her birthright yeah. to make excellent coffee. And if there are Australians out there listening, uh, I, I imagine this resonates all of my Aussie friends. I mean, honestly... My Aussie friends who come to the states are like, "Why is all the coffee in your country shit?" <laughs> um, it's 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 true. Like it's it's an incredible and like you can. It's so hard to find a coffee that stacks up. Uh, these people that take their coffee seriously. And the thing that struck me, and she said it so subtly, but I, I think something that drew me in as well, and maybe even want to read the rest of the article, was that notion of of craftsmanship. Mm. Uh, in you know, it's not like. I needed work, so I got a job in a cafe. It was I saw this place where people were doing really interesting things. I wanted to get maybe involved, and I happened to bring something particularly useful to the table. Yeah. I know it's not just that I make good coffee; I make great coffee. Mm-hmm. So, should we get into the first tip? Yeah, I think so. Awesome. So uh, again, Alice broke this down into five tips, and the first of them is to take an interest in people's lives, and that that line. Um, was another opportunity for me to really sink my teeth in, and it reminded me of a sentence that came out of Parker Whitney's mouth. Now, I don't think we've actually talked about Parker on the show in the past. Mm -mm. Um, Parker is one of the early generations of Den Mother, of of the staff model here at Indie Hall, Um, and we could probably spend an entire episode talking with... We should have Parker on the show. We probably should. Parker was the person who actually uh, sat down with me, had a beer, and gave me... He didn't give me an earful, but he he listened to where I'm coming from, and he told me exactly why I need to be at Indie Hall. Yeah. So uh, Parker, in the the lineage of Indie Hall, and my personal experience here is is a a pivotal piece, and I will never say that to his face. Yeah, I was just gonna say I'm about to say something really nice about Parker, <laughs> and I'm I'm, I'm hesitating because Parker. Uh, That's how you know we love him. I know it's true. Um, uh, you know Parker, and I rem- I remember a day us walking down Fourth Street uh, from. Uh, from Old City, where Indy Hall is, I think down towards South Street, um, where I was living, or maybe to the bar, or something like that. And w- Parker was sort of expounding on some of the things that he found most rewarding in his work. And he drew a line between the difference between taking interest and faking interest. Mm. And uh, first of all, it rhymes, which is nice. Mm-hmm. But there is that. You can tell when someone is feigning interest in so much networking is... Fake interest. Mm-hmm. It's I'm interested in you enough to get to the point where it's actually interesting, and it's not just that it's interesting. It's I'm interesting. I'm interested in you long enough to find out how you were of value to me, mm-hmm. and that's different from what Alice talks about in this article, where it's actually taking interest in people's lives yeah. instead of just feigning it, and that requires a degree of curiosity. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I, I drew from this first entry uh, is when Alice writes, uh, I built a network of people willing to lend me a hand when it was needed and vice versa. As such, I've always felt genuinely comfortable asking them for advice. So in the same regard, why I was impressed uh, reading this because she started from a place of vulnerability. She's speaking in a position of saying, I feel comfortable asking people for advice, and I offer it to people when they need me. The The give and take is genuine. We help each other. Sometimes I need it, and sometimes they need it. And I think the difference between taking interest and faking interest is that feeling of comfort. Um, when I'm in a time of duress, who do I feel comfortable talking to? Right? If, if I'm not interested in anything in your life, 
I'm probably not going to tell you about what's going on in mine, you know? And I, I just thought that was a really significant little snippet because that means the world of difference when you have a bad day and you know you can speak to someone about it. And usually it's just letting people know that you're open to listen when they're ready to tell you. And to that point, and just to, to lighten things a little bit, because I think that might sound a little bit intimidating to somebody to like to want to be vulnerable to someone or sure. allow someone to be vulnerable to you. One of the examples she gave is that simple gestures can mean a lot. Um, one of the if you think about like the job of a barista, um, there's lots of little things that are built in that allow you to stand out. And one of them that she brings up is remembering someone's coffee order mm-hmm. or their names. I remember I have a uh, an ex girlfriend who was a barista and she had regulars and she knew the regular by their order before she knew their name. Yeah. I think that's a common thing in coffee culture. And so I have to wonder, you know, what are the com- what's the parallel in in the world of co-working? If you're not making coffee for people in your co-working space and I if this is your first time listening to the co-working weekly show, uh, this might sound out of place, but we strongly believe that you should not be making coffee for your members. Mm-hmm. That's for another day. What are the things that you can do? What are the things that you can do and say that are simple and subtle, but they all they do is send the signal of, hey, I'm actually paying attention. Yeah. I know something about you. Something that I'll, I'll just put out here right now, as um, as we're recording this, we're just about to get into a long weekend for Thanksgiving um, here in Philadelphia in the United States. And I like asking people what their plans are for Thanksgiving. So when I come back on Monday and I see those people again, I can ask them, uh, ask them about specific details. I, I know that you were going to your brother-in-law's. How was it? How was the drive? I saw that this happened uh, on I-95. B- uh, was that affecting you? You know, those sorts of things, I think, go a long way. Because I don't know how everyone takes their coffee. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think that that's a great example because that's even a situation where um, if people aren't actively volunteering information, you can ask a question that sets you up for a follow-up and they can... I think there's something really powerful when people see, oh, well, you were really paying attention because the reality is, and this is not unique to cafes or co-working spaces, most of the world is full of people who just aren't paying attention. Oh, yeah. And that's... that's. I mean, on one hand, that's that's. I'm saying that to be critical. On the other hand, it's a fact. And I think it's a fact in, in, in business and in life is that it's very easy for us to go through life thinking that everyone is thinking about us when in reality everyone's just thinking about themselves. And a really easy way to break that pattern is to show someone, hey, I actually am thinking about you. I remembered something about you. I remembered something you told me, something you're working on, um, and, and giving yourself a little bit of space in, in between there. I think that's that's really, really powerful. I, I think there's really nothing in the world quite like knowing you are in a place where people give a shit about you. Because you know that if you're not there you can have the confidence that someone might be wondering how you are and where you are and those sorts of things. And, and when you are there, it, the, the, the confidence boost of just being in a place where you genuinely believe, you trust that people n- know who you are and care about all the good things you're going through, the bad things, whatever, indifferent. They're just happy to spend time with you. There's nothing quite like that. And as someone who is a, a leader in a co-working community, I know that I'm someone who can help encourage people to do things to make people feel that way. Yeah, and I also, uh, as we sort of wrap up this first point, uh, I love that Alice took a point to say that this made both her job and the member experience better. Both. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a win-win. Right. Because it could be really easy for, you know, a bar- I mean, how many baristas just seem miserable at 
in their work. <laughs> it seems like a, most of them. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there are really good ones. There yeah. are like, people like Alice who stand out above the crowd, and I imagine they would do that in any work that they did. But so many breezes are just going through the motions. And so on one hand, it, it's a, a, a pick-me-up for the person who's re- on the receiving end of this gesture. But it also makes things more fun and interesting for you mm-hmm. and more rewarding. And you see that person. You might be the first person who smiled and said hello to that person and remembered something about them. I, I, I can't stress enough how good it f- can feel in an otherwise dreary grind of a day of just like tasks getting cranked out, things to be taken care of, to take 30 seconds, 60 seconds, 90 seconds, maybe a few more minutes if things get more involved, to actually engage in a dialogue with somebody. Yeah. And the coffee uh, as the transaction is, I, in this case, an excuse to create something a little, a little more meaningful. And I think that happens in all of our days, that there are transactions, those dialogues that we could just say, hey, what's up? How's it going? Go through the motions. Alice gave us a great example of how to go one step deeper. Yeah. Uh, let's move down the line. The, the second tip that Alice gives is let people vent. And there's a, a snippet from this that I, I took particular interest in, which is capitalizing, I think, on the first one. Uh, taking an interest in the people around you and building meaningful connections often means more than just sharing weekend plans. So take that surface level thing that we're going to do, that transaction, boop, pushing a little bit further than that. It's about being there to lend an ear and some advice on the shitty days, too. We all have hard days. Feeling like you've, feeling like you're heard in your community makes your relationships feel deeper and more meaningful. That's the one, that's the sentence that I highlighted to feeling heard um, because one of the things that I notice in, and I've noticed this in our community and I notice it in adjacent communities. I don't remember how I ended up in a weird corner of my inbox archives a couple of days ago, but there were some people venting about the sort of an overwhelm of events and like, there's too many events, the same event being produced by multiple people, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And, I think those kinds of things are important. People need to feel heard when things are stressful. But also, I think that in not just our community, adjacent communities, and I've seen this throughout history, is that communities are often built around celebration and boosting signal when things are good. Mm -hmm. And there's this other sort of subtle thing that happens, and sometimes it's intentional. A lot of times I think it's unintentional because we don't want to stare things that are kind of crappy in the face, is we are afraid to talk about the things that suck. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is you start running out of things to celebrate if you all you ever talk about is the good stuff, because mm-hmm. the bad stuff, if it doesn't drag you down, will eventually blow up in your face. Mm-hmm. Right. Also, like fixing something that's bad gives you something new to celebrate. Yeah. So there's a balance here. Uh, I, I think that giving uh, giving being willing to to talk to somebody about something tough, whether it's something going on in their day, something going on in the co-working space uh, itself, or, you know, in this case. I don't think uh, people are necessarily approaching Alice because, you know, they didn't like something about the cafe, but maybe they were talking about something that they didn't like that was going on in their life or their business. Or I can absolutely imagine people confiding in Alice that the coworker who sat next to them in the coworking space, you know, had this annoying habit or was like picking their nose or mm-hmm. like smelled funny or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Like those are the barista conversations that you have. Same, it's like a bartender conversation. Like yeah. you vent about you, you vent to people, and I think that's a totally natural thing. Um, being trusted enough to be confided in uh, can be powerful because it allows people to feel like they're heard. There just aren't a lot of places where people feel like if they if what there's lots of places people feel like they can say something. Yeah, people are used to shouting into the void. 
But if if you can actually hear what somebody said and repeat it back to them and maybe not even offer advice, just be like, that sucks. Yeah. I hear you. That Like, that really sucks. I'm glad you said that because I think uh, an important component of this is not always assuming that you need to draw toward a solution, that you need to offer a fix, or that the conversation is not meaningful unless it's resolved. Um, that is, well, it, of course, it's great. If you can fix a problem and find a solution, like you said, new cause for celebration. That's wonderful. And Alice talks about that in the article. Exactly. She actually points out that having that conversation can create space for finding solutions. Right. But I would I would caution people to get too caught up on this being a solutions-driven It's not goal. about finding a solution. It's about offering space to be heard. Right. So I think the solution, amazing. That's great if you can make it. But be a person who is always offering your ear regardless of whether or not you have something intelligible to say. The amount of time someone has talked to me here at Indy Hall about a problem that I just don't understand is more than I can count on my fingers and toes. But the the purpose of someone telling me about those issues is they know that I'm I'm genuinely interested and potentially going to ask questions that might help that person understand the problem for themselves. Maybe yeah, we, not necessarily even find a, a way to fix it, but just to clarify what it is that they're stressed about. Yeah, I think there's a lot in just having people know that they're not crazy or isolated. You know, that it, it's not weird to feel that way. You feel that way. I acknowledge that you feel that way. It reminds me of there's a, a video, and we'll, we'll link to it in the show notes, um, the It's Not About the Nail. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it would be it's strange for me to describe a video, but it's an exchange between uh, two partners, a, a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife. Uh, the wife is explaining she has a splitting headache and she doesn't know why, and then the camera turns and she's got, well... I don't, maybe you should just go watch the video. <laughs> are you going to put a spoiler warning? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, <laughs> honestly, like, go watch the video because it's really good. Um, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Uh, yeah, so so she turns <laughs> and there's a uh, a nail sticking out of her forehead. Yeah. And the boyfriend, husband character is like, well, you know, there's that nail in your forehead if you got rid of that. And she's like, yeah, you know, it makes really, you know, putting putting my... My sweater's on really difficult. Stuff keeps getting caught. And he's like, well, if you just take the nail out. She's like, it's not about the nail. Yeah. Right? It's I want you to hear that my head hurts. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of stuff that will come up in people's days. And and I I have to wonder if people are are anxious about uh, inviting other people to vent because they they are worried about taking on the need to create those solutions for other people. Mm. I think a lot of creative people, you know, we we see problems. We want to solve them. Um, There's a a really interesting – psychology that I've seen with you, Adam, and with Sam, and I've certainly experienced it myself, where people who tend to be very good at these roles where empathy is crucial, if mm-hmm. it, you know, if it's not just useful, it's crucial. Um, when someone else is in pain, the risk is that um, you're listening to them and you actually start feeling their pain. Like your, oh, your, yeah. your, em- your empathy is so strong that their pain becomes yours. And it takes some mega self-awareness and real practice to be willing to sit with that person and their pain and make sure that you're not solving it for them just so that it no longer hurts you. Yeah. Because sometimes all they need is someone to sit with them in the pain and then the pain itself goes away. Yeah. Um, versus, you know, rushing into a solution that, that they may not fully understand the problem, that sort of thing. So um, I think that's, that's a, a general management tip that's yeah. you know, separate from community separate from you know if you work with people be willing to sit with people on their discomfort even and i would argue especially when it makes you uncomfortable 
And only then can you get to a point where if we're going to solve this problem, we solve it together, um, not me solving it for you so that your pain goes away, therefore my, my pain goes away. Yeah, and if a solution is not in sight, I think it's helpful to have some means to encourage that energy to dissipate. So self-care is important. And while paying attention to your peers, your coworkers, your customers, when they need to vent is so significant for those people, self-care is important too. I like taking walks with someone when they have something stressful to say, a change of scenery, being outside, being in natural settings under the, the, the sun, the clouds. Those things help, I think. They're soothing. I also like being uh, someone who offers to go get a cup of coffee uh, after you've had a conversation that's tough or a dessert. I had a conversation with a member here last week. It's been stressful here in the United States. We're all trying to find some ways to help each other and help ourselves. And she confided in, with, in me with a few difficult things. And afterward, after we just shared with one another, we went and we got a donut. And that helped everything, just a distraction, a little distraction. So we had an opportunity to, to spend time with one another, to be present, to vent, and then capped it off with good feelings. Treat yourself. I, I really think that's an important... Treat yourself. Like, a, that aftercare is really, really important. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny you say that. I don't, I don't really think about it, and I, it's something that maybe I'm really bad at, um, something I, should, I, I could work on getting better at for, for myself and also for other people. Um, that's something that I've got to I've got to think about. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up. Goes a long I, way. I certainly wouldn't have. Uh, should we move on to number three? Yeah. All right. So uh, Alice's third point uh, is do not pigeonhole people's interests. This was my favorite one. I have a really hard time with favorites, but this is a really good one. You're this right. It's a yeah. really good one. Yeah. So uh, among the things that I noted about this uh, is that she described Berlin, which is the backdrop for for our story and her experience as a city of slashes. And I was like, ooh, that's good. I'm going to steal that one. For the <laughs> I thought future. that was so punk rock. Yeah, so good. And what she means by that is like everyone is a, you know, a DJ slash designer slash, uh, you know, digital nomad. Like, like people are multidimensional and there's something about the Berliner culture. And I've experienced this firsthand that people uh, externalize that. Mm -hmm. Which is really interesting. And I think maybe something that makes Berlin really attractive to people who are sort of exploring self and identity and creativity and things like that is that everyone's not just multifaceted. Because here's the reality. Spoiler alert. Everyone is multifaceted on mm -hmm. the planet. Mm -hmm. I think that's just fundamentally true. Some people are more expressive than others. Everyone is more – there's more to them than the thing that is obvious. Yeah. The fact that Berlin has a, a prominent – it's not necessarily the dominant culture, but it's a prominent culture of people who – visibly identify across those slashes, as she put it. Um, super cool to me. What stood out to you? Uh, so the, the line in, in this uh, item is, don't build barriers between you and your fellow coworkers based on assumptions. Don't pigeonhole the work you do or the work others do based on their job title. What stands out to me is the type of conversation I have with people who are visiting Indie Hall for a tour. And a very common question that comes up almost every single time Clockwork. someone visits is, what kind of people work here? Who works here? What are some of the job titles, some of the careers, some of the industries? And it makes a lot of sense to me why someone would be curious for that. But I think that's the wrong metric. And the correct way to answer that question is, 
there are so many, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, and frankly, looking at just one person, I can look at one person and say, there are so many things that she does. I don't even know where to start. Right. Um, and offering that as the, the first idea of what people do here and what's important to me, someone who helps run this community, I think allows people to exit from their pigeonhole, job title, self-fulfilling prophecy ideations. Elsewhere in the world, whatever you wrote on your business card is exactly what you are. And for some reason, that has worked as currency in certain business places and, and professional environments. I'm just telling you, that, that ain't shit at Indy Hall. It just doesn't mean anything at Indy Hall. And if I'm the first person who can tell you, look, this guy who works here is an attorney He's also a dad. He's crazy about Star Wars. He's an artist. He's showing artwork in this gallery. He likes these movies. You, you should just talk yeah, to him. Yeah, wait a second. He's an attorney and all those things? And all of those things. Yeah. And, you know, to, to be someone who uh, pierces through those paradigms, I think, is really important. And the reason this was my favorite from the list is for some reason, this one seems to be the least obvious to adults. Interesting. It just, I don't know what happens. It's like, you know, sometimes you th this trope of people saying, you know, when you're a kid, you have imagination, and then you give up your imagination, you're no longer creative, you're an adult. And something that goes out the window is this idea of being multiple things at the same time. Whereas if, if you're not focusing into one place, then you're doing it wrong. Man, that's just not right. And I appreciate Indy Hall, I appreciate Alice Dundon's approach because it, it not only looks at that assumption and says, no, that's wrong, it embraces people being multifaceted. That, I think that's such an important thing to do now. You know, I'm unpacking this as you're talking, and I think there's something really interesting. Um, it's, it, adulthood is definitely part of it. I think the workplace, is, it just exacerbates your point. Mm -hmm. Where where you know we come into work and we put on our work costume and now we're a work person mm -hmm. and for some reason that forces us to shed all the other things that make us us whether that's I think historically that had a lot to do with like efficiency um, and and not wanting to allow in distractions um, you know trying you know, ma manufacturing culture requires some sort of monotony simplicity in order for cogs to be interchangeable they've got to be all equally vanilla yeah the industrial era so I think there's there are cultural reasons for for why we have it in the workplace and it's so neat to me genuinely neat that uh the interaction in a cafe between a coffee buying customer and a barista who makes that coffee is an opportunity to be more meaningful than the average interaction between coworkers. yeah that's bonkers yeah it is right uh, and 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 what's interesting also is like i think about if you frequent a particular cafe Right. There's a good chance that it doesn't take long before you're on, at the very least, a first name basis with that barista. Yeah. You, they know your coffee order. Maybe you've got a couple of different orders. You like to change it up. Um, and there's rapport. And I think there's something to be said for that recurring interaction that if we think like I think about my life and how many environments do I have where I have a recurring interaction with the same person mm. Um, and it's not necessarily the exact same interaction, but it's similar enough that we can build that consistency. Mm -hmm. It's like my closest family and friends, my coworkers, my barista slash bartender. Yeah. Um, like 
maybe there's a religious leader that I'm like a, like a, a pastor or, or a rabbi or something, yeah. depending on, you know, I, like there's a pretty limited number of people, but, but I have to say that like the barista bartender stand out from that crowd um, for, for some reason to me, I'm not entirely sure why. And I think that there's something beautiful about the casualness of that interaction that gets forgotten in like every, everything else. We're like trying to get something done. Yeah. Whereas like the barista exchange, like we've got 30 seconds together while you're making my drink. Let's chat about something. Yeah. Yeah. When I was in fifth grade, I had a history teacher named Mr. Pongress. And I can tell you definitively that my world fucking changed when I found out that he likes Dungeons and Dragons and, <laughs> and Miles Davis. He was not just my history teacher anymore, but I can guarantee you I was more interested in the subject he was teaching because he felt like an adult version of someone that I wanted to be because it was someone that I felt like I might have been when I was in fifth grade. And it's, you know, that stuck with me for a long time. But for some reason, I buried that revelation and it only become apparent to me, it became apparent to me uh, again in a co-working community like the one that I'm in right now. That those pieces of information, those hobbies, those recreations, those passions combined with what you do for a living, that makes an interesting narrative. That gives me a lot of opportunity to talk to someone about so many different things and learn and grow closer to that person. Even if I thought, man, your industry is not like mine. I have no idea how we're ever going to bridge that gap. Well, the answer is Miles Davis and Dungeons and Dragons. That's the answer. And it's, you know, those things, I don't know why I took for granted, but seeing it in writing just makes you think, oh, I knew that. I really knew that. I just forgot. You know, the, the last point that I want to make with this, this particular bullet point is the notion of, I mean, you were just describing that just the, the moment of discovery with your teacher when you're like, whoa, you are, there's more to you than I realized. And mm -hmm. I think about... You know, I think about the, some of the most meaningful relationships that I've had over any period of time, and it's the ones where we sort of we keep surprising each other. Like, oh, I didn't know you're into that. That's really cool. I didn't know you did that. That's really cool. Yeah. And you know, that that's a, that requires effort on both parts, where people need to be willing to share and able to share bits about themselves and their journey. Because um, not just who you are and what you do now, both professionally and as hobbies, but also like things you've done in the past. Where are you coming from? Where are you coming from? You've, I mean. The the experiences you've had in the past that shape who you are today can be part of that sharing as well. Yeah, they are part of what makes you multifaceted and you. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a, I think it's a a, a a process of not trying to surprise people, but being open with the things that are going on and being able to allow other people to be surprised. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, that requires trust. It requires vulnerability, but it also creates trust. And that like, oh, I didn't know that about you. That, that's really cool. Yeah. And it also like helps you make more sense. And community leaders, I think the, the, the most divine evidence you can ever have that you're doing a good job is when you learn about people's interests outside of what they do for a living. Because the moment that stuff becomes apparent, not just shared with you, but with other people in the space... It means that you have provided something, you have encouraged something to allow someone to be comfortable enough to let their hair down. Right. And by the way, it also gives you a very tactical tool to use, you know, for future conversations, whether it's to uh, guide future connections. Alice talks about the connections that she makes between people who are working towards similar goals. And, you know, you've got to, it, it may not be the thing that the person is most 
most putting forward on any given day, uh, but but using that as fodder for conversations or just noticing patterns. And one of the conversations uh, I I know that we have and I want to be having even more of is like, you know, a question that we should really have on our weekly report is like, what patterns did you notice this week? Hmm. Honestly, mm-hmm. like, what are things that you that you know maybe showed up a couple of times and maybe like in that because the thing is like we see it so much that I think it's almost too easy to take for granted. Um, and the flip side of that is people that have no practice in it don't think to necessarily jot it down. But in both cases, to have that prompt and be like, what stood out to you this week as something that showed up more than once? A couple of times, um, or maybe it's shown up for the third or fourth time over some weeks or months, whatever it is, like, give yourself that prompt. And I think we should maybe give ourselves that prompt to be like, what are the new patterns, good or bad? It can go either way, and you can build on those patterns. Yeah. Uh, The fourth point in this list is skill sharing. Mm-hmm. Skill sharing, something that I wrote down really quickly, and I want to know what you think about it. I wrote down, the notion of pay it forward should be at the center of your work. When you are helping others to flourish, they will always be willing to help you do the same. So I like this with a caveat that um, that, that works, and this is super counterintuitive, in, unless you're practiced at it, that works when you stop expecting it. Mm, tell me more. So... I think there is a fundamental difference in exchange of support and help when you do something because you want something in return versus you do something out of pure generosity. Even and gen, like gener, the word generosity. Let's talk about that for a second. Okay. The word generosity sounds really heavy, difficult, expensive. Uh, I'm busy. I don't have time for that. I've got my own shit. When's someone going to help me? And when you've got that mindset, generosity feels unattainable. But generosity could be, honestly, any of the things that we talked about. Making 30 seconds in your day to actually pay attention to the person you're talking to, to learn something about them that down the road you can have a conversation with them about again. Check in. Use it as a touch point. Use it as a tool to build on that relationship. When you expect to get something from it, I think is when you get the least from it. Mm. It's not that you can't or won't. It's that it's diminished. Mm-hmm. I think part of the reason it's diminished is because you sit there waiting for it to happen and waiting for it to happen and waiting for it to happen. And, uh, you know, I think with some, some people it might build resentment or frustration. And like, when am I going to get mine? And I think while you're in that mindset, you are distracted from the opportunities to get the help that you need. Yeah. Um, so, so that is a, a really important caveat. And, and I think a thing worth practicing is it's don't help so that you may be helped, help, help because you can, Mm. right? Help, help because you can. I think that is a useful world outlook, um, in life, in, you know, personal relationships, but also in business. Like business is not much more than understanding someone who needs help and being able to provide it. It's a specific category of help for which there will be an exchange, but it comes down to understanding how to help. Yeah, yeah. And I also think that this this tactic, this instruction of skill sharing, absolutely cannot, does not exist in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. It can't exist independently of other things. Say more about that. Uh, So getting to know one another, taking genuine interest in one another, uh, not pigeonholing other people and knowing more about what makes them more well-rounded. So we're building on these themes we've already talked about. Precisely. Building on these themes, making this, this culminating thing. That's a relationship. It's an ecosystem of relationships. And this skill sharing, this transaction, I can do this for you and you can do this for me me, 
Th- that cannot exist by itself. Otherwise, you don't have relationships. You don't have comfort. You don't have trust. Those are just barren, useless transactions. I think Alice's point in this article is that there is something very powerful from being the source of that generosity, yeah. from helping people and watching them flourish. There's multiple wins going on at the same time. They get to flourish, and if that's visible, they are seen as someone who is flourishing. And in some cases, it'll be known that you were the cause of that. In other cases, it'll just be between you and that person. But frankly, it shouldn't matter because there is a genuine motivating momentum that comes from being a part of other people's success. Yeah. Not ju- and, and I mean, to one degree, a rising tide raises all ships. I think that's the, the aphorism that sort of covers this. But I mean, we have – I've seen – um, since we started, uh, and I'll say we, and I'm not actually speaking about anybody on our core team, one of our members started Indie Skills, yep. which is a skill swap. It is a monthly prompt of what, are we, what would you like to learn? What would you like to teach? Yeah. And in accompaniment of that, a Slack channel for us where people are able to post, hey, I'm trying to figure out how to do X. Does anyone know or anyone know who else might know how to accomplish that? And at the end of every month, Lydia summarizes it. And the thing that I think is super, super powerful about not just that skill sharing is going on. I think that that is uh, that's an indicator that, as you said, Adam, the other three items in this bullet point are being addressed well. People are, are building those relationships, trust, because it takes some vulnerability to be like, I don't know how to do this thing that I should theoretically know how to do. Um, And and ask that to a group of of peers, right? Professional peers. Think of a workplace where it is rewarded to say, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Generally doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. I mean, it should because those environments tend to be pretty toxic. But the, the ability for most people, most work experience, they're not used to being able to publicly say, I don't know. They can go to a trusted, you know, coworker behind closed doors and be like, yo, I'm on this deadline and I don't know how to do this. Can you show me? And that's where relationships help make work successful. But yeah. most employer-employee relationships do not exist around the, the ability to say, I don't know. So skill sharing does require that prerequisite. I've gone a little bit far afield. To bring this back to the point I was starting to make is even when it's happening, the vast majority of the skill sharing is likely to be invisible. Yes, And the thing that is amazing about the way that Lydia has set up this really simple rhythm of do and share, do and share, do and share, is it takes a bunch of things that would have otherwise happened and been quickly forgotten Mm. and brings them to the surface in a moment of recap, which is both inspiring. Like when that monthly email comes through, I'm like, holy crap, that's, that's really cool. But it also gives you this really subtle clue, not just at what people, not, not just that who helped who, but also what they're helping each other with. And going back to our pattern recognition point, I can see, wow, a bunch of people are all working on similar things. Maybe we should help work to, you know, rally some of those people and say, hey, I noticed a bunch of people asking questions about, you know, uh, video editing or, you know, freelance uh, lead generation or about, um, you know, technology security. You know, a few people ask that question, is there enough interest in leading something a little more formal. Yeah. So it's, you know, uh, the reality is I think a lot of co-working spaces are the opposite of us, where they go so heavily on formal programming and in a lot of cases really struggle to figure out what it is that people want to learn about. Producing events takes a lot of work. It's hard to get teachers without them burning out. Mm-hmm. It's hard to figure out a price point that people are willing to pay for mm-hmm. to make it worth the effort. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard to know that people are actually going to even show up. 
versus it coming from the people who are already exchanging this knowledge and then building on top of it. Whatever your knowledge sharing platform is, whether it's formal classes or informal people just one-on-one helping each other, honestly, I think the sweet spot is somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And while Indie Hall is historically trended more towards the casual skill sharing, more like what Alice describes in this one-on-one, very relationship-driven, we've been far more limited on the formal sharing. And to a degree, especially for new members, right? So people who are brand new to this community, they don't know what's being shared. They don't know who to ask. They don't. They have no context. There's a lot of value in creating a door to walk through. Yeah. As a metaphor, most likely. Not necessarily a physical classroom, but a conceptual, who do I ask? How do I ask? Where do I ask for help? Or who can I help? How can I help most? How can my helping once help the most people? These are questions that people don't necessarily ask themselves, although they should. Or they are asking them, they're asking like a more surface level question, but the underlying question that is is one of the ones that I just recounted. Yeah. At the risk of making an assumption, I know that Alice intends to talk about skill sharing within this greater culmination of of the relationship building of 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 create, creating comfort and and trust um because skill sharing is awesome and it's an awesome opportunity and set of resources in a co-working community in a coffee shop in in uh, whatever kind of you know community you have that couples together a lot of people from different careers and industries and skill sets um but one of the things that strikes me is when I think of Lydia's program, the Indie Skills program, the first thing I think of when I think of Lydia is I think she's my friend. She's someone that I've gotten to know. She's someone that I trust. She's someone that I like talking with. And when I see her uh, creating this spreadsheet, this list of which are effectively transactions, so-and-so taught X to so-and-so. Um, it has meaning because it's coming from people and it's about people that I know and care about. So all of those things stack into one another. Um, and I know, like I said, I know that that is intended in this list. And I, the only reason I think that we even press on that is there are maybe not enough people who realize that skill sharing is a piece of a much larger puzzle. Right, exactly. I think that one of the the overarching themes of the way Alice describes the environment that she's a part of and the interactions that she takes place in creating and and participating in is this notion of like an ecosystem. Um, And she mentioned something in this particular one about, uh, you know, opportunities and knowledge flowing circularly. I think a lot of people approach the skill sharing, again, as a more industrial process of like, we need X number of classes per month. We need Y number of butts and seats in those classes. Uh, And and some of that is, is for the business model as well. But people lose sight of the exchange. And it ends up being people coming to take and never sticking around. I was chatting with another one of our newish members who recently moved to Philadelphia from uh, from Houston uh, part of a, a hackerspace there that has gone through its own cycle of being sort of like the small indie hackerspace makerspace and really shifting towards classes. And one of the things I asked him about seeing the difference between an operation that is leans very heavily on classes uh, versus Indie Hall and something that I note with Indie Hall versus lots of other co-working spaces uh, is there's this sort of quote-unquote common knowledge that one of the best ways to recruit members for a co-working space is with events and classes. Mm -hmm. 
but an unspoken reality is how crappy the conversion rate is. Mm -hmm. So in the case of this hackerspace, you've got a very successful event program, and it pays the bills, and it pays the instructors, probably not enough, um, but it, it, it keeps things afloat, right? But the conversion of student attendee for that knowledge exchange, you know, the thought process is people come in to learn how to use a tool. Hopefully they'll come back and actually use the tool and hopefully they'll want to keep coming back to keep using that tool and more. Yeah. But the percentage of people who actually follow through with that, this parallels to co-working perfectly. The people who, the thought process, I just got to get people in the door. They'll see how cool my space is. They're going to instantly know how to use it. They're going to want to come back and use it. And, er, record scratch. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah. And events are very expensive to produce and organize, right? I'm not talking about expensive dollars. I'm talking about expensive energy, effort, time, attention. And the amount of attention I see people putting into event production, everything from figuring out what the event's going to be, marketing it to the community and beyond, the setup, the teardown. People are so busy with that stuff. I think they're so busy with that. That's why they don't do the other three bullet points mm -hmm. that we're talking about here, mm -hmm. right? It's so much work, and and you, I think there's a, a a very there's a there's a missing piece in the world of you know co working space, creative space, um, uh, um, you know the, the the management role that that we're if we're talking about that side of things. No one, I think, has really nailed where attention should be placed. Yeah. Right. And remembering who your core constituency is and balancing those things, because one of the worst things that can happen is that your core constituency, your members, the people who make that place worth existing in the first place, feel ignored or second to the constant stream of people coming through a revolving door for events. Mm -hmm. This is my biggest criticism of co-working spaces that lean heavily on events which we're going to get into events in, in the, the final bullet point here and talk more about that. But there's a balance here. And if it's your job to be as part of the, you know, the deciding, the managing, if you're the person whose energy and effort is going into these two things, both the community, you know, the, the, the softer skills, should I say, versus yeah. the things that have like a, you know, that have a date on the calendar, a deadline, a clear start and end. And maybe that's part of it. Is like events are, are easier to understand because they're concrete and have a beginning, middle, and an end mm -hmm. versus everything else we've talked about is this sort of like ongoing, continue like a relationship doesn't have a start. Be most relationships, some do. Most relationships uh, don't have a clear beginning, middle, and end. Mm -hmm. um, and so they feel like they could drag on forever. Um, that's how I think a lot of people look at it when I, I look at it on the flip side is like, a relationship that can last for a long time through all these multiple dimensions that we have that make us us. You know, the relationship I have with you, Adam, has changed dramatically over five years because we're constantly exploring elements that make us us. Yeah. The work that we do. Uh, and and I don't know. Once again, I've gone kind of far afield from this particular point. But I point. think you're, you're hedging towards something which is important, which is events or skill sharing as transactions or I need this and I have expectations to get this. Low-hanging fruit. Big time. Too low. Too low. Climb higher. Um, if, if you really want to get genuine value, then you, you have to do a little bit more work. And, and here's the thing is, like, everyone's picking dem apples. Oh, yeah. Right? If, and again, a common theme I hear from co-working spaces is, like, how do I stand out? And I go, what are you doing? And they describe the same thing the everyone same else shit. is doing. I'm like, how, how, how is that going to help you? Like, come on. Come on. Yeah, but we... 
have a pool table and we 3D printed. Yeah, it. but more importantly, we're not just co-working. <laughs> we're not just co-working. This is these these are the meaningless Afro, like trite garbage that comes out of people's mouths when they describe what they do by saying what they don't do. Yeah. Right. And it's it's in that same band as as you know, it's just not putting in the work. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Like, there's too many people being lazy about this stuff, and doing the thing that's easy and obvious instead of thinking critically about who's right in front of you. This is not remarkably not actually terribly creative work. Mm-hmm. This is it's slow work. I think it requires patience, and that's why people aren't willing to put in the work. Is because the payoff, you know, I can set a, I can set a date for an event, and say that event happened. I can spin it as it happened great or it happened terribly, however I want, and I can say I did it, and I can report it back and say I did it. Mm-hmm. It's easier to report. Yeah, but it's just man, it's just not enough. Like it's and I, and I and I hate to sound. Uh, sound like i'm somehow unsatisfied by that but i think that's it is like i look around and i'm like i'm i don't understand how people can feel good about that work Mm -hmm. right just because you're done doesn't mean you you can feel good about it sure so we can say it's not enough for us and that is what sets us apart i think so and if, if anyone is interested in being set apart from the rest of the industry or, or sticking out in a particular fashion, then it's, it's about what you reach for. Yeah, man. If you want to be a commodity and race to the bottom, go for it. But yeah. uh, I'll, I'll, see you, I'll see you in the graveyard of dead co-working spaces within <laughs> two years. <laughs> what was that? that was in Lion King, right? The graveyard of dead elephants and co-working oh, I didn't even spaces. have that image in my head. We should do an episode about the graveyard of co-working spaces. Like, yeah. what's in the graveyard? Why, like, what's in the graveyard and why do people get there? Yeah, yeah, mm. into it. Uh, but first, we should finish this list. We should. Mm-hmm. So the, the fifth and final item on this list is to utilize community spaces and events. Yeah. Now, and, and there's a particular spin on this that I, I do want to clarify before we even get into it. Go for it. I want to talk about the perspective that we're talking about here. Um, are we talking about someone who puts on events, hosts events, plans events, or are we talking about someone who attends events? You know, I read this one of the five. This one is the most geared towards the member slash attendee. Oh, you know what? I had a different take, oh, but really? I I'm, I'm can't wait to, to compare and contrast. You know, so the the, the what I read here is the thing that we often have to remind members even, and this is like not a you're doing it wrong, but a, hey, you know, you come in, you work, you put your headphones on, you get a productive day done, and then you leave. Yeah. Like, that's a win, right? And it is. But there's something missing. And I think that um, yeah, I, the way I think about it is like, there's a couple of different economies going on, and you know what we hope for on the business side of things is that people join co-working spaces and pay their memberships. Yeah, but there's another economy, which is that people, you know, pay with their attention, pay with their their participation, mm-hmm. and to come in, put your headphones on, not interact with anybody, is in my mind the equivalent of bouncing a check. Mm-hmm. I put that kind of gravity on it, mm-hmm. uh, and now the reality is is. Sometimes you just need to come in and get your work done, and I'm not critical of that. But take time to celebrate when that work is done. Give mm-hmm. yourself five minutes. Also, like even when you're in heads down hustling mode, you take breaks. Yeah. So like 
get away from your screen and, and maybe like pop into the kitchen and chat with someone who's sitting there or like put yourself in a place. And this is what I think Alice's point is put yourself in a place where interaction is more likely. We just got a, 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 a a old member reintroduction, actually a key holder reintroduction on Group Buzz, our, our email discussion list here this uh, this morning overnight um, from a member who said how much they were enjoying some of the elements of the new space we moved into over the summer. Uh, Jim was full-time in the past. Um, he was working from home for a while, and now he's back. And the thing that stood out to him is, like, he's... Wherever he is, even when he's working with people, he's more likely to bump into people, and he's really enjoying and appreciating that. Mm -hmm. So the message I got from Alice was put yourself in places where those interactions are more likely because there's a reward there for you. Yeah. Um, And the thing that she didn't say and that I wanted to build on is that it's not just that there's a reward for you. It's that also that creates value for everyone else. And the reason I use that that bounce check metaphor is uh, when I think about culture, I think about community. What is the value of community? I think of that as the sum of all of the potential interactions and relationships in a co-working space. Mm-hmm. And the people who only ever keep to themselves, if you, for the entire duration of you being in a co-working space, if you, even if you just do it once, you are, I would say, in the positive. But if you never do it, you have reduced the number of potential interactions and relationships in that ecosystem Yeah, just by keeping to yourself. Yeah. Now, that's not saying that introverts are somehow breaking the equation because introverts have ways to do this too. Yeah. Uh, and and we've talked about that at length in the past. But I wanna I wanna get to to what's what's your read on this because you've seen this from a different perspective. Yeah. Well, while I cannot possibly agree more with everything that you said, I, I think it's completely on the nose. My interpretation of of this piece is from the perspective of a community leader of let's use the term community manager is somebody who is is helping facilitate and and doing admin roles in a community in a co-working space um and the reason that i think of that the reason that i approach this advice with that in mind is because i know personally sometimes i'm better and sometimes i'm worse at taking a part an active part in what's happening in my space in Indie Hall itself. So we use a tool called Group Buzz, and Group Buzz, combined with our shared calendar, offers people the ability to create events, outings, happy hours, lunch and learns, workshops, you name it. And sometimes I'm so busy with whatever it is in, that I'm doing in my life that I, I neglect to join some of those events. The things that are hosted by other members that were built for and by other members, I, I neglect to, to be a part of that. And sometimes I'm a hell of a lot better at being a member of those things, being an attendee. And when I'm thinking about what Alice has written here, I'm thinking about my job sitting in front of a computer or in front of a door or wherever I need to be so I'm reliable. Um, and from time to time, taking a moment to look around at my surroundings and say, you son of a gun, I work in a open space, co-working space, right? Like, I... Where am I? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, for Christ's sakes, like, sometimes I really need to say, I have to take advantage yeah. of what this is. Yeah. And when I'm really focused on a project or when I'm really distracted from what I'm supposed to be doing, something that always helps is looking around at what's happening and saying, I just need to jump into something else. I need to go and talk to someone. I need to go to a happy hour. I need to sit in on a workshop about cybersecurity. I need to learn. 
And the the reason that I think this is in a, an important item on this list, and I think it's also important at the the end of the list, is for me there's a culmination of some of the previous items because this is when I attend someone's somebody else's event, I am illustrating my genuine interest in something someone else does. Uh, I'm also taking an opportunity for someone to teach me and for me to potentially contribute whatever it is that I have to contribute. Um, and I'm showing that I'm a person of many facets and interests, and I'm taking advantage of someone else showing the very same thing. And in my position as someone who helps lead Indy Hall, sometimes I just don't nail that thing. Sometimes I just forget to enjoy where I work. So it's it's not just a get into the you know community spaces, but it's a the the subtext there is like get out from behind your role yeah so to speak yes you know, your your position um you know i, I had a, a really w- a heartwarming exchange with one of our members who has been a member for a few months really only comes in once a month or so but he came to the indie hall arts meeting um and afterwards he came over he's like it's really really cool to just like be able to sit in on a conversation like this and like realize that you're a person, which is like, yeah. yeah, I'm like, well, thanks, man. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's, it, that's genuinely true. And people are used to, you know, whether, whether you're a staff member or a, a manager or just a prominent member in the community, it is easy to forget yourself that, you know, you're, you're there ultimately for the same reason a lot of other people are. Yeah. And I think there's something really valuable about trying to, remind both yourself and other people of that yeah yeah i agree uh if if we will return to the metaphor just for a second um of low-hanging fruit if you work in a grove pick the fruit that is around you don't just stick to the task that you have to be doing if if you are working in this environment i think take advantage of that environment um and from time to time you need a kick in the ass to say Oh yeah, that's a thing that I can enjoy. To to use a different metaphor. Oh boy, how many can we get? In yeah, here? so here we go. So <laughs> I think about like, uh, imagine a chef who doesn't taste their food. Yeah, yeah, that that's a really really good point. And, and you know, you're only as good as someone if, if, as a chef. You're only as good as the person who is enjoying the dish that you've made. Right, right. And if you never, I mean, if you never taste your food, how can you know whether or not it's any good? How can you understand the the nuances of it? Yeah. So, like, if you're not getting from this the thing that you're trying to create for other people, you you're gonna have a really hard time. You've either got to be some sort of incredible savant, which mm-hmm. you know. Let's just for this is not a criticism. Let's just assume that you're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you are, good for you. You need to put your be able to be in the shoes of the of the people that you're trying to connect with and help and remind them that you you put on your pants the same way they do, one leg at a time. Yeah, <laughs> I thought you might change that phrase up. Yeah, I don't even know. I, just, I was like, can I get in another metaphor? Um, so so uh, obviously we could probably have riffed on any one of these five points for ever forever for an, for an hour in and of themselves um alice's final thought i think um was it really took this entire piece across the finish line for me let's see where he wrote the same thing down um she said ultimately a co-working space is a community like any other making the most out of your co-working space is all about contribution mm-hmm. um, contribution is the currency Mm-hmm. It's the currency, right? Uh, v- understanding 
what and how people contribute, that there is more than one way to contribute, yeah. that small contributions are not necessarily, in many cases, are the opposite of less valuable than large contributions. Something I've reiterated over and over over the last year and a half in particular related to uh, some of the challenges Indy Hall has been through with our, our building and, and our move is reminding members that like I don't need you to contribute in a big way. I need lots of people to contribute in a small way. Yeah. So don't overvalue the large contributions. The little ones are what the, the little momentary contributions are what adds up. Yeah. Uh, and I think of the the most remarkable conversations I have with members, whether they are people who have been here for a couple of weeks or months, people that have been here for a long time. And I think about like what are your standout memories mm-hmm. like what w- what if for a new member like do you remember your first impression like why did, like this is recent enough that maybe you can remember the first thing that made you go oh i want to be here or the members who've been here for a while i like, can say you know what are some of your fondest memories and in the thing they have in common are there will be things that those people actually actively contributed to not just sat back and let it wash over them but something that they were a part in making happen yeah your job is to make those memories possible. Mm. It's to create the space, not necessarily the physical space, although in some cases that's true, but the the um, the mental space, the capacity for the making of memories and for people to make those memories together. I think that's ultimately what what we do. Yeah. We create we create work, we create product, we create success, and we celebrate it. And the outcome of that is we feel awesome about those experiences that's right and alice's closing line was something that that struck me as for me quintessentially philadelphia um this is something that i've always thought about philadelphia and something like again what is most personal is most universal but when it comes to building a meaningful network she says you will only get out what you put in um, in the spirit of contribution as currency, in in the spirit of the way I think my city works, our city works, um, that is definitely something we've said before. You get what you give in this place, in Indy Hall, in Philly, in most places that I like to spend time. And um, the the um, the result of not putting anything in, and the expectation on the other end is is less than expected i mean it's like it's 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 exponentially worse than you think this is going to go if you give something terrible where you just uh, decide not to participate um and i think that that wraps up for me this this list of things every single piece of this is about a form of contribution a form of give and take um, and the balance of those things and participating in the balance and having reasonable expectations about that balance. I mean, all of that is, is, is really um, touching. It, it's, it's the motif, if, if anything, or the thesis even. It's you get what you give. And here are some illustrations of those things. And that's Alice Dundon's blog post. Yeah, I think that's a. This is an hour and fifteen minute way of saying, Alice, we love your work. It's exceptional. It really is. Uh, and the the truth is, is we want to see more of this. So part of the reason we're trying out this format is to, like I said at the very beginning, boost the signal on really great pieces like this to encourage those of you who are listening to the show. And I know there's lots of you out there to share the best pieces that you find with us. You can tweet them at me, at Alex Hillman on Twitter. You can email them to me at uh, alex at indiehall.org. Get them to me. I want to read them, and if there's really good stuff that we can boost the signal on, uh, we're going to want to talk about it on the show in this format. And maybe, just maybe, if there's complete trash out there, 
we can start talking about some of the junk out there as well and doing some critique and some teardown about why like why is the bad stuff bad and why why you should maybe not maybe well so there's two ways you can go why to how to recognize what's junk mm. right and how mm -hmm. to how to throw it away um maybe even better how do you turn junk into gold yeah right what can you learn from reading a bunch of crappy press like if you go to if you go to Twitter and you look at the coworking hashtag and you click the first 10 links that come up I'd w I'd bet you a dollar right now that none of those articles are good <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to lose a bunch of dollars, but no, tr no truthfully, I like most of those articles are not going to be any good. But I want to teach you how to spot the great stuff amongst all the junk. Yeah, and to a degree, you got to look at a lot of stuff. I, I would also to love that. to go back and revisit some of the pieces that we published in the first a couple of installments of the Coworking Weekly newsletter, like way back in the day when it was a proper email newsletter. I would love to look at some of those and see. If they hold up. Yeah, there's. I know there's some evergreen stuff. It would also be a fun trip down memory lane to see what was going on because we were doing that in like 2011, 12 or so. Yeah. And I know we did it for a full year. There was at least 52 editions of it. Uh, so, you know, there's a bunch of really great links. We'll dig up some of the evergreen stuff and keep talking about it there. Mm -hmm. So if this uh, format was cool, we'd love to hear about it. Uh, if you've got articles you'd like us to talk about and take, you know, get our take on, shoot them to us. And I hope... I hope this was useful. It was mm -hmm. certainly fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. More and of this. And Alice, keep writing because you're awesome. Truly. All right, gang, thanks for listening to that episode. I hope you're feeling inspired and confident and ready to just take on the day. And I was wondering if you would be willing to share this episode. Uh, share it on Twitter, Facebook, email it to a friend or a coworker, uh, maybe a boss or a mentor, a neighbor, a friend, anyone that you think would benefit from hearing the reminders that we shared in this episode. Uh, we have a bunch of awesome stuff in store for the show coming up, stuff that's more interactive, new kinds of guests, and a whole lot more. So I'd love your help inviting more people to get involved in the Coworking Weekly show. So you know, pick one person, just one, uh, and send them this episode. And if it's not this episode that has you super inspired, maybe there's another episode that you'd rather share instead. Either way, I'm so thankful for you taking the time out of your day to listen to the show. I love hearing from you. I love reading your reviews on iTunes. And it would mean the world to me if you got just one new person listening to the Coworking Weekly Show. So help us get the message out there and I look forward to hearing from you and meeting all of your friends as well. Have a great week and I'll see you next time on the Coworking Weekly Show.